Neuropathways, a Cleveland Clinic podcast exploring the latest research discoveries and clinical advances in the fields of neurology, neurosurgery, neurorehab, and psychiatry. Relapsing remitting multiple sclerosis is the majority course for children diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. Although children may experience frequent relapses, studies have shown that recovery in this population is often far more rapid than that of adults. The challenge with pediatric MS lies in the differential diagnosis, but the upshot is powerful. Early intervention after diagnosis can yield positive long-term effects. In today's episode of Neuropathways, we're discussing differential diagnosis in pediatric multiple sclerosis and the collaborative work of pediatric and adult neuroimmunologists to move the field forward. I am your host, Glenn Stevens, neurologist, neuro-oncologist in Cleveland Clinic's Neurological Institute. I am very pleased to have Dr. Aaron Abrams join me for today's conversation. Dr. Abrams is a pediatric neurologist and neuroimmunologist in Cleveland Clinic's Department of Pediatric Neurology and the Mellon Center for Multiple Sclerosis. Aaron, welcome to Neuropathways. Thank you so much. It's really great to be here. So to start things off, the field of pediatric neuroimmunology has really evolved in recent years. It was just in 2018 that the FDA approved the first drug for use in pediatric relapsing remitting multiple sclerosis. Can you start off our conversation today by talking about how far we've come in identifying demyelinating and neuroimmunologic disease in children? And maybe you could just even start and tell us a little bit about the epidemiology um, who's it involved, what kind of numbers, those sorts of things. So pediatric neuroimmunology is, is a fast moving, um, rapidly emerging field. Um, and we have come, come a long way in the past 10 or 15 years, but we do have um, a lot more work to do. And, and that's uh, very much where my passion lies is, is you know both research and clinical exploration of of these types of demyelinating um, diseases as well as autoimmune encephalitides in the pediatric age group. Regarding your question um, for you know specifically um, disease modifying therapies in pediatric MS, fingolimod has has been approved and it's really the only one that's been FDA approved. But a big reason for that is really because. You know, we we are just starting to to peel back the onion layers of uh, pediatric MS um, t- clinical trials um, and testing out of of these medications in the pediatric MS population. And so, emerging evidence does suggest that for pediatric MS, the disease modifying therapies that conventionally are used in adult multiple sclerosis are as effective and also as safe in pediatrics, although the data, again, is not quite as robust, mainly because of the limitation in doing trials in the pediatric population. Pediatric MS constitutes, we we think estimates are around 5% of all multiple sclerosis, um, and it's termed pediatric onset multiple sclerosis when it occurs before the age of 18. But we do think that both because of diagnostic techniques in terms of advancements and and resolution of MRI, as well as increasing awareness amongst pediatric providers and neurologists, we do think that that number is is probably going to 
to go up. And, and I think that that's a very important aspect of this is that um, with these advances in techniques, we are able, I think, to diagnose um, a wide spectrum of these diseases earlier and earlier in a person's lifespan. So to that end, and you transition me nicely, can you talk to us about some of the tools at your disposal for diagnosing not only pediatric MS, but uh, other pediatric demyelinating disorders or encephalitides or similar disorders in the differential? Certainly. I think that one of the biggest um, advances and, and one of the most exciting parts of the field is regarding biomarkers and specifically autoimmune antibodies within both the, the blood as well as the cerebrospinal fluid. Um, and more and more, we're, we're honing the techniques of both identifying new antibodies and markers, but also, importantly, we are making big strides in terms of being able to diagnose diseases with respect to specificity of those biomarkers and con confirmatory tests in order to give us the most robust and definitive answers on confirming some of these diseases, specifically things like MOG antibody disease or MOG associated disease is one of the big um, autoimmune markers um, that we have come a long way in terms of doing cell-based assays, which has really increased the accuracy with which we're able to detect these types of diseases. That also goes along with things like NMO, you know, and all of these really can present in, in the pediatric age group. And part of, you know, my job and what I want to do is to increase that awareness. Other techniques that, that we've made big strides with our MRI technology in terms of both resolution as well as the types of sequencing that we're able to do within MRI protocols in order to better detect um, and distinguish between demyelinating type lesions as opposed to inflammatory, other inflammatory lesions that may be more related to an autoimmune encephalitis as well as vasculitis type lesions um, using all of these uh, very uh, advanced MRI techniques and other testing similar to what we, what we do use as well in the adult MS and adult neuroimmunology field um, includes you know, vision testing uh, with visual evoked potentials and OCT testing in order to better uh, detect and give supporting evidence for demyelination as opposed to some of these other types of disorders. So just for those of the folks that are listening that aren't in the field, I'll just explain that NMO is neuromyelitis optica and uh, NMOSD is neuromyelitis optica spectrum disorder uh, for what you're discussing with the NMO antibodies and the MOG antibodies for those that aren't in the area. Are there any diagnostic tests that are just done in the pediatric group that aren't done in the adult or are done in the adult and not the pediatric or pretty much the same can be done in each group? In general, I would say that, that similar testing is done in each group. However, I think one of the big distinguishing features is regarding neurocognitive testing and, and specifically formal neuropsychological evaluation. I think that that tends to be more utilized in the pediatric population um, because we do feel that with pediatrics, um, oftentimes children will bounce back and recover very well 
with respect to their neurological deficits in terms of motor deficits and sensory problems, you know, being able to walk and, and weakness and those kinds of things. But what we find is that with pediatrics, there still is a significant burden on the cognitive realm and um, in terms of potentially academic performance. And so I think one of the things that we tend to focus more on within pediatrics as opposed to the adult population is regarding neuropsychological batteries and neuropsychological testing as a potential both marker of disease involvement, but also in order to monitor therapeutic response moving forward. Uh, you had mentioned as well, I think, OCT, the optical coherence tomography. Is there an age at which children can sit for that that you find? So typically, um, it's difficult to do it below the age of five, and some would say, you know, even seven or eight it's difficult to do the visual testing, which again, creates, you know, more challenges and, and really requires a more reliance both on MRI sensitivities, as well as, you know, these types of autoimmune antibody testings, as well as, you know, I think focusing on similar to the neuropsychological piece, you know, development, especially in young, young children. And so it is one of the, one of the things that is limited in terms of looking at optic neuritis and things that very often are involved when it comes to multiple sclerosis and many other of these demyelinating type diseases. So clearly there's a lot of current therapies out for adult onset MS. We had mentioned that fingolamide was released in 2018. Anything else approved since 2018 or not yet? So none have been FDA approved, but there have been more and more studies being done uh, within the pediatric MS network, which is, you know, both a national and international network of, of centers of excellence, which um, with specialists that really focus on, on pediatric neuroimmunological diseases, um, including MS. And so with, with that, with the, the, the data that we're able to collect and accrue from, from those registries, um, we are able more and more to, to conduct studies that are able to figure out exactly which medications may work better within pediatrics versus adults. And so even though only fingolimod is, is the one that's FDA approved, we, ha- we do have good evidence that many of the other treatments that we typically use for adults, including natalizumab, rituximab, oprilizumab, and dimethylfumarate, all of those seem to also be quite effective and have similar, we think, safety profiles, although we are still collecting more and more data in order to um, provide better evidence of this. But we are working very hard to provide, again, um, further uh, data in order to um, make this clear to both you know, pediatric patients as well as families that are involved um, with these types of diseases. So certainly in the neuro-oncologic field, you know, if we look at the percentage of patients that go on a clinical trial, it's sadly low, uh, even though glioblastoma is a very aggressive tumor. Uh, but if we look at the pediatric neuro-oncology field, you know, two-thirds of children go on a clinical trial. Does it work that way in MS or no? Do the children go on clinical trials or you just treat them with the adult drugs off trial? 
So we are trying to come up with more clinical trials, um, and there are ones that are both ongoing as well as ones that are planning on, on being started soon. And so we are able to enroll pediatric patients in clinical trials, looking specifically at these types of medications. But in addition to that, you know, because it's more difficult to do that, as you mentioned, in the pediatric population, we also are relying on a lot of both retrospective and prospective data from these types of clinical centers of excellence across the country and the world in order to help also clarify some of these questions. And so I do think that, of course, clinical trials are very, very important, but I think that having the data from these types of registries is also important in, in terms of, again, clarifying some of these questions so that we can then make better informed decisions on which treatments may work for which populations of patients. So you talked a little bit about the cognitive issues with MS in kids, but what have we learned about managing pediatric MS that's different uh, that our listeners should know versus adult? So pediatric MS tends to to occur um, when it initially presents. It's it's typically more highly inflammatory with the clinical event. And so when we do imaging or we do CSF analysis of patients with a first onset of demyelination in the pediatric age group, we tend to see a higher degree of inflammation. And that, that is both evidenced by higher cell counts and higher protein levels in the cerebrospinal fluid, but also on more extensive lesions as well as enhancement patterns within within MRI and neuroimaging techniques. One of the very interesting things about pediatrics, and we think that this may have to do to some extent with plasticity and the ability of young pediatric brains to, to bounce back from neurological insults, is that they seem to recover much, much better and faster than a lot of the adult counterparts. And so even though the initial event is is oftentimes more highly inflammatory and potentially, you know, is is more severe, pediatric patients oftentimes will actually recover much better. The other important differences between pediatrics and, and adult MS is that in pediatric MS, Um, We find that typically in terms of the outcomes, a lot of times with things like MOG, which is again, a myelin oligodendrocyte glycoprotein associated disease, we find that pediatric patients are more likely to have what we call a monophasic course, which means that that they're more likely to have one relatively significant clinical event, but then may not have any further clinical events, whereas adult counterparts um, are more likely to have multiple events. And so lastly, the, the big difference is also that with pediatric MS, it's much more common and almost always presents in a relapsing or remitting form as opposed to adult MS, which, you know, oftentimes can can present initially both with primary progressive 
but also when it presents with relapsing remitting, it can then transform into what we call secondary progressive. And so pediatric MS is unique in the sense that almost always it presents in a relapsing remitting form. And then it, it can much later on in life transition to these other entities, but it's much, much less likely. You know, when I trained back many years ago, MS was thought to be a purely white matter disorder. Uh, and then there's more interest over the years of, of gray involved. And certainly with the cognitive issues that you suggest in the kids makes me think that, you know, gray matter would be involved more. What do we know about that uh, in terms of the distribution? Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting point. And, and I think that specifically, again, using the example of MOG antibody disease or MOG-associated disease, we find more and more that MOG seems to involve the gray matter um, much more than, than a lot of these other types of demodating diseases like, um, like MS. And I think that we do tend to see MOG more within the pediatric age group. And I think that's increasing because of, again, our robustness in both detecting and confirming that specific antibody in the blood. And so I think that it could beg the question of whether, you know, in pediatrics, you know, could there be a higher level in some of these demodating diseases for more gray matter involvement? And, and could that, you know, potentially implicate why maybe we, we do see um, sometimes more prominent cognitive effects, although we do, you know, clearly see very, very prominent cognitive dysfunction and difficulties um, in, in adult MS as well um, and adult demodating diseases. But I think it's a very interesting question that, that warrants further research and exploration to see why we're seeing, you know, to some extent, more gray matter involvement within some of these diseases. So I know our listeners slash readers are always interested in what's on the horizon. So what's on the horizon? Where, uh, where are we going? What's next? What's exciting? So I think within the pediatric neuroimmunological field, the main thing, you know, which we've discussed is, is really focusing on um, on treatment. And, and I think one of the big things that we're seeing is that early treatment with pediatric onset demodating diseases, as well as robust treatment with some of these, what we call higher efficacy treatments, which tend to have more side effects, but also uh, tend to be more effective with the way that they control the disease and prevent further neurological problems down the line. What we are finding based off of the evidence is, is that the earlier and the, the higher efficacy the medication we give when there is an initial onset of a pediatric um, demodating disease like MS, the much better the outcome in terms of you know, future neurological functioning down the line. And so I think that, that that's a big thing is, is really focusing on you know, making making sure and providing as much data as we can that these medications are safe and effective um, within pediatrics, as we have shown they are in the adult population. Um, and I and I also just think that it's very important, given how rapidly the field is is moving and changing, and how much you know on a daily basis we're discovering about these complex disease entities that anybody, you know, any family member or child 
you know, who is concerned about some sort of a neuroimmunological disease, um, I would really encourage and, and stress that, that you seek out, you know, a specialist in order to really um, fully evaluate and, and work it up in order to then be able to provide the, the most information and the best therapeutics that we have available to date. Any closing comments for our listeners? I think that in line with, with what I've been saying about um, you know, really uh, making sure that you're evaluated by by a specialist. I think that you know somewhere like Cleveland Clinic is a is a great place because of the collaborative care that Cleveland Clinic provides, as well as the multidisciplinary approach. I think is very important for these types of complicated neuroimmunological diseases that can that can involve other organ systems as well as different aspects of the immune system and and the neurological system and and so I think that um, it's it's a very good place to to seek out care and I think that it's it's somewhere that is um, a very good place for for both management as well as treatment for a lot of these patients that we we encounter in our practice. Well, Aaron, I'd like to thank you for joining me today. It's been enlightening and informative. I certainly know more about pediatric uh, MS than I did before I started, so I appreciate all your research and clinical efforts. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to be here. This concludes this episode of Neuropathways. You can find additional podcast episodes on our website, clevelandclinic.org slash neuropodcast, or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, you can access real-time updates from experts in Cleveland Clinic's Neurological Institute on our ConsultQD website. That's consultqd.clevelandclinic.org slash neuro or follow us on Twitter at CLEClinicMD, all one word. And thank you for listening.